You've just tuned into Surviving My Past. A survivor podcast about my life with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD. Join me in raising awareness and inspiring others. Are you ready? Let's rock this healing journey. everyone welcome back to surviving my podcast this is matt and i am super excited to have a special guest a friend that i met on twitter fellow blogger fellow survivor super cool all around great person davina how are you what's shaking i am awesome thanks matt i'm i'm doing really well thanks Excellent. Uh, yes. good 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 i'm super glad to hear it so why don't we start out um as i so rudely just interrupted you <laughs> <laughs> And give and kind of tell everybody who you are, your blog, anything you want to share about yourself. Okay. So as you know, my name is Davina Lido. Um, I've been blogging for just over a year. Actually, I started well, maybe just more than uh, over a year. I started uh, blogging in August of 2015. Um, joined Twitter right around the same time. Um, up until that point, I was pretty quiet. Uh, nobody knew where to find me. Uh, but I was told by uh, my editor that I needed to get, uh, I needed to form a platform. I needed to prove that there was interest in the book that I wanted to write. Um, so, yeah, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying um a lot, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I say it all the time on podcasts. Like, do you know how much I have to edit out the word um and 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 uh? Like, oh my god. <laughs> okay. All right, what else should I say? Uh, whatever floats your boat. Um, you can talk about your blog, book, uh, Twitter information, whatever you want before we jump into whatever, whatever it is we're jumping into. Okay. So my website uh, is Um I have a weekly blog, or I try to blog weekly. Sometimes, uh, depending on pressure, I don't get it done. Uh, I also, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, and I'm, it's under Davina Lytle as well. I've published an article, or I had an article published in Moods Magazine. It's a Canadian magazine. Uh, it's called uh, The Workplace Incident That Changed My Life, and it talks about the day that I got held up at work. Um, and that really was what sent me down the PTSD road. I mean, I had it before that, but uh, I managed to mm, fake it till I made it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yep. But when I got held up, things really changed. So, so that's kind of that's kind of my tale, I guess. It's interesting how I mean, obviously, um, PTSD is something that you blog about. It's something I'm extremely familiar with since I have it. Um, yeah. But, you know, even though our stories are kind of different in how it happened, like the feelings of dealing with PTSD, um, what, you know, due to a, a circumstance at work or at home or in my case, abuse or whatever, you know, it is like just it's such a um, it's such a hard thing to live with. And obviously there's good days and bad days. But I mean, when like, post-traumatic stress disorder is just one thing that. I've tried to really use my platform of blogging and, and podcasting with is PTSD is not just a military thing. That's um, right. You know, and I mean, and, and I'm not here to minimize in any way the, you know, 
PTSD, you know, in terms of, you know, um, battle and survivors in the battlefield and military, because, I mean, I'm a Navy kid, so I'm all about the military, but um, I think all too often, like, and I'll admit it, before I became, before I realized I was a survivor, I always equated PTSD with, 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 with soldiers. I did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I, you know, and it's something that, of course, by reading your blog and, you know, interacting with you on Twitter and, and doing the stuff that I do, it, I think it's important to really kind of be able to raise awareness and let people know that PTSD yeah. comes in many, many forms besides just soldiers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Matt, I got mine from uh, childhood sexual abuse, uh, mental abuse, physical abuse, <laughs> uh, but I had, I had managed to... I don't know, bury it. I mean, there's there's things like my kids will tell you that um, um, that I didn't hide it. I've always been really hyper vigilant, um, uh, especially at night. They couldn't come to me at night if they had a bad dream because uh, if, if anybody comes into the room at night and makes any noise, I jump, I scream, I yeah, I just. But other than that, I I was I was I became an extrovert. Um, I went out a lot. I it's amazing how I believe that I had hidden it. But like I say, then when I got held up at gunpoint, it it it, it threw me for a loop. It really did. And and um, my life's been completely different since then. So that was kind of the trigger that really brought it out and maybe maybe kind of made you start to deal with it. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I my I mean I don't know about you, but I grew up I grew up in a household where. Uh, mental health or mental illness did not exist, right? Like, there was no such thing. That you were making it up if you had a mental illness. So, so the problems that I had growing up, I, you learn how to bury it, right? You, you learn how to keep the dirty little secret. Yeah, you know, that's funny because, uh, not funny, but it's interesting because, like, I grew up in a house where everything was pushed under the rug. Um, mm-hmm. If it was controversial or a little out in left field or it wasn't within the realm of our happy little community, meaning our family, we didn't deal with it. And that's, yeah. that, that's the way a lot of my family deals with things now is they, they just push it under the rug. They're like, well, you know, we don't really have to think about that or that doesn't affect me or, you know, we're just going to kind of pretend that shit didn't happen. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I mean, like my abuse happened between five and ten, you know, the, um, the uh, childhood sexual abuse. And so, of course, I didn't tell anybody because I was groomed to not tell anybody. But, you know, I did not, after that happened, like sometime around around or after 10 years old, I pushed it to the side. I didn't deal with it. Like, if you would have, like, I just didn't want to talk about it because I tried to push it. It was like out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. And, and then um, I lived that way for a long time. And then up, up until about two years ago, when I started seeing, like, I, I reached out for the help of a therapist after my divorce, after my second divorce. And I'm like, I originally went to just kind of try and get help to put my life back together. You know, I'm divorced again. I'm in my 40s. What the hell am I going to do? And that morphed into childhood sexual abuse and narcissistic abuse and bullying. And, and like that, that was my trigger that kind of brought everything to light. And what started me down my journey, but I, I always find it fascinating um, and interesting to find out what really kind of brings our past to the forefront and makes us kind of deal with it. And trust me, hyper vigilant. Oh my god, I am that <laughs> way all the time. Like 
If I walk around the corner and my son's standing in the kitchen, scares the shit out of me. And like, I mean, he's standing there making a sandwich. Like, you know, he, he doesn't even like acknowledge my presence, and I like jump ten feet in the air. Or, you know, like if I round the corner and he's standing there doing something, like it, it just scares the bejesus out of me. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. My husband will come around the corner. I know he's here. I'll be in the bathroom, blow dry my hair or something, and and he comes around the corner, and I'm ah, you know, I, I, do, I, I do the same thing. <laughs> I watched a video. I don't know. It was about six months ago, and it was um, somebody that was doing that, purposely scaring somebody, and and they finally just said, "Fuck off," you know, like <laughs> you're scaring me. And I often wonder how he must feel because I must scare him too. Do you know what I mean? Because he startles me, and I jump and I scream, and yeah, I wish there were a way to stop that. But, but it yeah, is and it's like my kids look at me like I have five heads when I, when I like they're standing there like watching TV or they're they're making a sandwich in the kitchen or they're sitting there on the couch, and I come down the stairs around the corner and I jump sky high, and they're like, "What the hell are you doing?" And I'm mm. like, I, "I mean, and I mean, they know you know kind of what happened, but." Yeah. They they don't understand hypervigilance at all, um, yeah. so and I I don't really talk about it all that much. But yeah, I mean it's it's something that I didn't realize I was hypervigilant. I mean until I started working through you know my past because I I've kind of always been this way like very jumpy. Yeah. And you know like I work uh, in an office and I keep a mirror on top of my monitor and my desk so I can see who's behind me. Because, like, I, I can't stand when somebody sneaks up behind me. Like, it drives me up a wall. And, like, it's... I can be sitting there typing away at work, and I'm in my own little world, and somebody taps me on my shoulder, and I'm, psh, like, straight up in the air. Me too. Oh, yeah. my God. But, yeah, it's... It, uh, so, let's kind of and uh, transition a little bit, because the holidays are coming up here, and... Um, I've been doing some writing about the holidays. We've been doing some other podcasts, and... It's a big thing on, you know, in in Twitter right now, dealing with the holidays as survivors of abuse like you and I, yeah. um, and you know all different types of traumatic past. But how difficult do you find the holidays? Um, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, the whole time of year when it's all about family and memories and good times and 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 you know, just does it really is it stressful for you like it is for me? Um, you know, I don't ever really remember uh, it being a really good time, and um, my parents split up when I was quite young, and since then I've only had one Christmas day with um, my father, and um, and I don't, I, I can't remember the last time I had Christmas day with my mom, um, and uh, and honestly, in the beginning, it really, really got me. It, it, I just didn't understand why I wasn't included. But I've really come to terms with the fact in the last couple of years that this is so much better. Um, distancing myself from the people, places, and things that exacerbate my PTSD symptoms uh, is, I don't know, paramount to healing. You know, like putting yourself in a situation like that where you know you're going to be judged. You know that nothing that you do in your life is to other people's satisfactions. You know you're going to be criticized. You know you're going to be ridiculed. Why would you do it? Why would you go? So I don't anymore. I'm actually um, having Christmas dinner with my chosen family 
uh, and and then Christmas uh, Boxing Day, I'm having it with my daughters and their and their family or their children. Um, but yeah, I just Matt, it's so hard. Nothing that you can do when you're there is right. I just feel so on guard. I feel so anxious and stressed out leading up to it that I just I I distance myself from them around the holidays. And quite frankly, I. I've distanced myself <clears throat> from certain people, period, because I just can't do it right now. I just, I don't have the strength. Um, I, I, I've mentioned on my blog that um, I'm losing the sight in one of my eye, in my right eye, and it's a stress, it's a stress thing. And, and I could keep pushing myself to the limit if I wanted, but I'm, I can lose my sight, so I don't. It just, it's just that simple. Yeah, you know, I mean, taking care of you, doing what's right for you. Um, I mean, even in the face of um, the pressure from family or friends to, you, you have to go here, you have to see there, you have to come to this function. So and so is not going to be around much longer. You know, you're being selfish if you stay away. I've I've heard all those things a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt, how do you deal with it? Like, how do you how do you deal with the guilt trip? Well, to be honest with you, um, the guilt, well, the guilt trip normally comes from my mom and from my sister. Um, my brother and his wife, uh, like, they kind of know, uh, you know, some of what I've been through because I've opened up to them. I feel like I can trust them. Yeah. And, um, you know, my, my mom, I mean, she knows what happened because um, I told her before. Mm-hmm. In confidence, and then she went and told everybody else, and that's a whole other freaking story. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, um, my sister is very outspoken, mm-hmm. and um, she and my mom are like two peas in a pod, very similar types of um, personalities, and very, you have to come here, you have to go there, we have to spend time with dad because he's getting older, we have to spend time with so and so because you don't ever see them. What are you doing staying home? Don't stay home. And so for me, I have to pick and choose the times when I'm going to put myself in that situation because I like your idea and I think it's super important to to put that distance between yourself with people who are going to invalidate you and stress you out and cause you to just feel like shit. Yeah. Um, for me, like, um, it's like my dad is 80 two right now 83 he just turned 83 this year um he's old he's got um like his um alzheimer's is getting worse every year so i do force myself to go to some family functions because i just want to see him so it's kind of a catch-22 um and i wrote about this on my blog months and months ago about you know should fond memories of my dad be enough you know should i should i just be able to let it go and not put myself in any bad situations or should I just kind of go and suck it up and deal with it? And it's kind of a, it's a hard thing because if it weren't for my dad still being alive, I probably wouldn't go to any of them or very few, but I feel kind of an obligation to him. Um, you know, whether or not he, he remembers it the next day or not. Like my dad was kind of my buddy and my side. We we were like big chief and little chief when I, when I was a kid. So now that he's older, he's asking about me all the time. He asks about my brother and my sister. So yeah, I kind of have to put myself in a situation where I got to deal with what else comes along with it. And, but I try and kind of stay closer to him and away from all the drama. 
and just yeah. spend a couple hours there and then leave when I, you know, when I feel stressed. So for mm-hmm. me, when it's those kinds of times, I, I put a time limit on myself of I'm going to stay for two hours. I'm going to stay for an hour and then I just go. Yeah. And then, you know, I say, well, you know, it's time for me to shove off. I'm going to hit the road, got things to do. And I just freaking walk out. Yeah. So that's a big thing along with taking breaks, um, mm-hmm. go outside, um, go for a little walk, just go in a, like go in the bathroom and stare at the mirror for a couple seconds and just kind of regain your composure. Like yeah. really. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm legal, uh, over in Canada. Uh, cannabis is legal for post-traumatic stress disorder. So I relieve myself and I'll go outside and take a couple of puffs. Um, yeah. When, if I do go to something that is like that, um, cause I find it's not just family things, Matt. It's anything to do with crowds. But, um. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Crowds, uh, you know, that's, I mean, crowds are a big, I mean, a big stressor for people with PTSD. Uh, I mean, you know, just so many people talking and bumping into you and running into you and a thousand conversations happening at once. And, you know, you feel real insecure because everybody keeps touching you and, and, you know, it causes, it brings back a lot of memories. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And you're right. It's not just families. I mean, it can be work functions. It could be the mall around Christmas time or (laughs) concerts or wherever you're at. So, you know, oddly enough, and, and I, I, I think I'm kind of in the minority in this is crowds don't usually bother me and I don't know why like I've never been able to figure that out mm-hmm. um, like I can go to a concert and um, you know be around 15 20,000 people and like I'm standing in line and people are kind of bumping into me and it doesn't bother me all that much now mm-hmm. I am claustrophobic so if you're in my face yeah you know you, know, you better get the hell out but <laughs> like it's I don't know, it's just kind of interesting when you said about crowds, because I, I thought to myself, crowds are not something that ever really triggered me all that much, but mm-hmm. being in a closed social environment with like a handful of people, 10, 15, 20 people, that's when I get really uncomfortable. And I think, and I was talking, I have a really good friend who has post-traumatic stress disorder as well, and he actually got it in the Gulf War, and, and we talk about... Um, you know, loud noises, firecrackers, things like that, or they, those are the things that trigger him. And I think the reason why crowds trigger me, I don't do concerts, I do, don't do bars, I don't do, I don't, I just don't go anywhere where there's movie theaters, things like that, because I was held up. Not only was I abused as a child, I mean, the thing that brought my trigger to the, or my PTSD to the forefront was, was being held up and and I'm a really analytical person and I think actually that's something that we probably share but um, I look at it as this guy who was completely normal one day um, was triggered by I mean they were asking him for money they wanted him to pay up and uh, and he he went postal that's what we call it over here because same that, here uh, they call it postal yeah. okay so and he I mean yeah he came in he was threatening me and and I just I don't trust people anymore I'm afraid that I'm gonna be in a crowd and somebody's gonna say something or do something and all it takes is one split second for somebody to go from happy to losing it right that's what I think in my head and that's why I can't do crowds anymore I just I can't I it's so stressful. I could, 
And, and, you know, we can do these things. We, we can put ourselves into these positions that are, um, you know, anxiety provoking and whatever for us. But in the long run, I look at the fact that I, I ended up with stress induced diabetes. I've got that under control now, but the fact that I'm losing my sight due to stress, I'm not willing to put myself there. I'm not willing to work my way through the stress because working your way through the stress is, silently killing you, I guess, or doing harm to your body. So I, I just, I found that I just, I don't want to put myself in any position that causes me too much stress. It's yeah. self-care, right? That's exactly <laughs> self-care, right? Hell yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know, you brought up about um, overanalyzing, overthinking, like, I have a master's degree in overthinking things like and overanalyzing. I overanalyze and overthink things nine ways to Sunday. Every situation, can this happen? Might this happen? What do I do if that happens? Well, this could happen, but then it might not happen. How do I handle it when that happens? And, you know, this blog post might go well. It might not go well. It might get readers. It might not get readers. And like I, everything in my life, like I analyze the freaking laundry. Like, I mean, her, you know, or, you know, I, I analyze the Christmas lights and, you know, like this, I have obviously, uh, OCD as part of my, uh, repertoire of survivor things. Um, you know, things I suffer with as well, but yeah, overanalyzing my God. Like I just, I, if I could go a day without overthinking something, I think I would, it would be like a miracle. Like it really would. I'm chuckling because I'm the same. And you know, I think that maybe maybe there's even something more to that in that if we weren't overthinkers, if we didn't overanalyze things, would we have ended up with such a degree of post-traumatic stress disorder? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, part of me, part of my survivor journey is trying to not overthink things and work through stuff and let it go and not dwell on it. So I would say that, yeah, absolutely, being an overthinker and overanalyzer definitely um, exacerbates your PTSD. And it's kind of a fine line because, like, when you're working through trauma, you know, in our case, being an abuse survivor, or in your case, you know, the trauma with being held up or whatever it is for anybody else, you have to be able to sit with it and analyze it and think about it and break it down. Mm-hmm. But the really tough part comes... After you've after you've understood it, you say, "Okay, this happened. This is how I felt. This is why I felt this way. It's it's understood that I, it was okay to feel this way. And now try and let it go and move on. That's where I can't let shit go. Mm-hmm. Like I know that I can work through a feeling, and I'm like, you know, I talk with somebody and I feel better. I'm like, oh, okay, I feel better. This is normal. I'm not crazy, so to speak. But then." Mm-hmm couple weeks later, it's right back there again, and I'm overthinking it. So, yeah, totally agree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we are our, our own worst enemy, honestly. I I just, I spend so much time beating myself up about whether I said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing or, yeah, being, overthinking, overthinking absolutely everything. Yeah, and it happens at work, too, for me. Um, you know, I'll sit there and I will overthink a phone call I was just on or a spreadsheet that I sent out that I can't take back. And I think the worst part of it is, is you're overthinking what you've already done and you can't take back or you can't fix. 
um, so to speak. And you know, it, it's not even necessarily that it needs to be fixed, quote unquote, I air quotes, or that you need to take something back. But I overthink a lot about how I'm perceived with people. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you know, did I did I say something that's going to offend somebody? And you know, it may not have come out that way, but in my mat speak, sometimes shit comes out sideways when I don't mean it. Um, so you know, yeah. I analyze a lot of. You know, well, this conversation seemed to go well, but did I say something? Did I miss something? Are they going to look back a week from now and say, well, well, you know, that was stupid, Matt. You know, why did you say that? Like, all this kind of stuff, like, it absolutely plays into PTSD. Because then you start thinking about, you're, you're back into the rut of overthinking about, well, you know, was the abuse my fault? And could I have changed? You know, what And what should I have done different? Or what could I have done different? And then that goes down a whole nother road of total invalidation and just total self-destruction, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I um, this weekend I did a workshop. It was it's called the Mago, and uh, and I'll just talk about it briefly. It, it 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 the whole theory around it is in your relationships because I'm on my third marriage. Um, in your relationships, when you react to an argument or any kind of friction, you're reacting to. Um, your inner child, the way that things were presented to you as a child. Do you know what I mean? Like if you were, um, I'm not doing a very good job explaining this. Um, You react the way that your mother or your father would have reacted to you. That's how you react in relationships. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, I did the individual course and then I did the couples course this weekend and and this has been over the last couple of months and honestly I'm able to put myself on the other side of it now I know that it wasn't my fault I was a child when I was abused um and I I really really understand that now that I was a child and there was nothing that I could do about that it was not my fault so I don't I don't blame myself anymore at all for it so um, I don't know what kind of put me on that tangent, Matt. But yeah, I don't. I don't really think that way anymore. I I really understand that it was not me. Uh, I I didn't deserve it at all. You're you are absolutely right. You absolutely did not deserve it. And man, when you said the words "inner child," like "inner child" is the bane of my existence. Like I'm telling you, I swear. <laughs> every time I'm talking with somebody about inner child stuff, like. I just like it absolutely at least in my opinion is one of the hardest things to work through mm-hmm. when you're in going down a healing journey from from whatever type of abuse or trauma you suffered I mean mm-hmm. to sit there as an adult for me at least and rationalize that little me was not responsible when adult me is saying well why in the hell didn't you just run away why didn't you tell somebody why didn't you do this why didn't you do that and to be able to relate to your inner child on the age level of when it happened is so hard, but it's so important. And that's like my single biggest struggle right now is inner child stuff because I want to blame little Matt for everything that went happened, you know, that happened to him, whether it was the bullying, whether it was the invalidation at home, whether it was the, you know, childhood sexual abuse from the, from the teenager up the street when I was five. So I am like slowly but surely, and I'm talking like fucking baby steps here, working through. <laughs> baby steps are good, Matt. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, like, trust me, I am I am proud of my little baby steps, of being able to come to the acceptance that little Matt could not have stopped what happened. And the fact that I didn't tell anybody, 
for so long or right after it happened. Like, I'm learning to not beat myself up about that, which is just... It's a very freeing type of mentality to have, as you know, because, you know, you're 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 at a point where you can embrace that you were not at fault. And I'm looking forward to being able to embrace that on a much more regular basis than I can now. So it's kind of... I find it encouraging to hear somebody to be able to say that they are at a place where they have where they no longer blame sorry. themselves. Sorry, Matt. Oh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> no worries. No worries at all. Somebody's trying to call you. Tell them I said hello. <laughs> it's um the real estate agent. Oh, hi, real estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Now it's all good. We'll just wait until it stops ringing. <laughs> okay, it's done. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God, no, no worries at all. But now, yeah, I just think it's interesting when you were bringing up inner child. I'm like, man, that's like, um, it's such a huge part of recovery is letting go and 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 realizing that your your little self could not have stopped or was not to blame. Or, you know, like if something traumatic happened as an adult, as in your case, like letting go of any guilt of what I should have or could have done or said or didn't do, it's, I'm finding little by little that it's a very freeing type of mentality to have. I'm just learning to try and embrace it more. So, yeah, yeah. And you will, you will like slowly as over time. And you know what, honestly, I mean, so realizing that I wasn't at fault, that I, I, there's nothing that I could have done to protect myself. Um, that's one thing, but I mean, trying to get the thoughts out of my head still, I mean, though they're still there. I mean, yeah, they're still there. They still, the fear of the things that happened, the, the, the fact that I, I have so much trouble with trust, mm-hmm. even with my own partner. Yeah. Those things though, that's, that's going to be a long journey, I think. But I think realizing uh, that you weren't at fault, that you aren't guilty for what happened, that you didn't deserve any of what any of that abuse that you got as a child, that's a, a huge part of your journey. Do you know what I mean? It's a huge, um, uh, I can't think of the word. I can't either, so I don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Even that happens. Do you know, ever right? that you that you your your brain? Um, oh, I find when I'm talking to people that I am in mid sentence, I completely forget what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, I do it all the time. In fact, I do it sometimes mid podcast. I'm talking, and I'm like, ah oh, shit, what was I saying? Where, where where was I going with that statement? And so sometimes I'll have to pause it and then go back and like, okay, where was I at? What was I thinking about? No, yeah, trying to. Oh my god, totally, totally gone, away. gone. It's like, and then I'm like, I mean, I mean, it is literally gone. Like it is not coming back, and so I have to try and transition it. But and um, no, but that's it's it's interesting what you were just talking about now with with that because I was I was thinking to myself, that's me, that's me, yeah, that's me. Like just to to the nth degree of, you know, your mind just forget things um, in mid sentence, but. Also, when you were talking about trust, like, I mean, I've been divorced twice, um, you know, and the last time ended in, in 2013, early 2013. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've tried to date since then. Mm-hmm. And I have just got so many trust issues. Like, oh, and, and obviously that stems back from the abuse and, mm-hmm. you know, all the stuff that happened. 
um, you know, and you know the the um, the relationships that didn't you know work out before. But man, like I have trust issues with like I don't I don't open up to hardly anybody. I mean, I can count on, and when I say open up, I'm talking about like um, relationship wise. I mean, because yeah. like. On my blog and on this podcast, I'm just a talking machine about everything and anything. But in relationships, when you, it's so hard to put down that that veil or you know you know take down you know open the door enough to let somebody in to be vulnerable and share because my God, I have so many trust issues. It's not even funny. So I am I am right with you. And even when somebody seems trustworthy and may very well be trustworthy and has your best interest at heart and they don't want to force you to do something and they're willing to go at your pace i still self-sabotage that shit i do like i mean and i hate it because you know it hurts people's feelings and makes them feel like they did something wrong when in reality they 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 may very well have done nothing wrong but um you know my ptsd and my trust issues from all the stuff that's happened caused me to just shut people out on a on, on a real personal emotional level when i get close to them you yeah. know it goes on for a little while and then i back off and i'm like whoa something's gonna happen something's not right trust is broken even though it never was and i'm just like i'm out of here and then i just i bolt because i get scared to freaking death it's weird eh? like the, the um my husband my current husband he was uh i dated him when i was 16 years old and um uh and i we talked about it this weekend at this couple's this couple's uh workshop and he was such a nice guy back then, um, and he still is. He's touchy feely. He he, uh, honestly, I, I'm up on this pedestal, and I wonder when I'm going to fall. But um, what what gets me is that I don't know. I just forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> See, at least we can laugh about this, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where was I going? I was going somewhere with this, and I lost where I was going. Um, oh. He just was too nice a guy. I dated him for about six months, and and I dumped him because I had had so much abuse up until that point. Where now here I have this person that that seems to love every single inch of my being or my soul or whatever, and I I didn't know how to deal with it. I had to break up with him. Now we got back together again. It was it's been eleven years now. Um, and we kind of stayed in touch with each other, but it's just, it's weird how I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. And I still kind of struggle with it because he just, he loves me so much and I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm glad that he does because you definitely deserve it. Yeah, I know. It's interesting because you were saying about how, um, you know, about how he was just so nice and he loved everything about you and it seemingly was just like this this perfect thing but you you couldn't handle it so to speak and i couldn't either because i i remember i dated somebody for a few months eh, about two months or so give or take and she was just the sweetest kindest most calm gentle person who just accepted me for who i am and there was no blame and and but i was like she was very and very over the top in her caring and showing affection and I could not handle it like it freaked me out that somebody would accept me for who I am so much and love me so much and was so um vocal and intimate and open about it and I'm just like 
like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, I don't deserve this. Why are you like, I can't handle this. And, and I had to break it off because I wasn't ready. And, you know, I, I feel horrible because, you know, this person was really amazing and still is, I'm sure. But, you know, I just, it, it's amazing how we kind of self-sabotage at times like that because we just, we're either, we're not ready. We're not in the same place they are, or it's just so foreign that we can't even embrace it. Like, I just... I think it's that it's so foreign. Do you know what I mean? I, I because, yeah, I just think it's so foreign to us. We don't, we don't understand why. I don't know why somebody could feel that way towards us when we've just been so, I don't know, ridiculed and put down and broken. Broken. <laughs> yep, yeah. yep. I use the word broken a lot, and I try try not to. But I mean, it really does define a lot of who I am. Is that you know because I'm I'm trying to put the pieces of my life back together from like a traumatic past that just broke me in every level. So, but yeah, I think you are right. I think it is that it is foreign because especially if we were raised in a household or we were been you know where you know you weren't given that that daily love or you know that um, unconditional love and affection and respect and kindness that you wanted. Then when somebody gives it to you, it's just like, well, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, this can't be normal. Exactly. So then you're waiting for the bottom to drop, to drop out or something. <laughs> yeah, I just think, what do you want from me? Oh, big one right there. What do you want out of me? Oh, my God, yeah. That could be a whole other hour-long talk about what Oh, you it could be. It could be because I don't know about you, but I'm I, – I'm – because of the abuse, I'm a I'm a people pleaser, and I went completely the other way. I I I trust too many people. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, I with a lot of behaviors, I went completely the opposite way. You know, like with my with my children, um, because I don't feel like there were, and I don't I don't want to bash anybody, but. Because I don't feel like my parents were there for me. Um, I actually have been way too in the faces of my kids. I mean, they're parents of themselves. They have children. I, I treat them like they're children. I'm, because I, I just, I really, really wanted them to know that they're loved and believed in and And I just completely went so off the wall with it. Do you know what I mean? Like I've 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 gone completely opposite to the way that I was brought up. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser as well. I always have been. I went through a phase where I went total opposite, where I'm just like, hell with everybody. Screw you. You're not going to get close to me. I'm not helping you out. I don't care what you need to help with. I'm not doing it. Like I was just, I went to the total opposite. Ex- extreme and became about you know just total opposite of what I've always been and I've since kind of come for full circle and I'm and and I say that in a sense of I've always been a people pleaser but I've been learning I've been opening myself back up to the possibility that not everybody wants something from me and not everybody is out to get me and so I'm finding a fine line between people pleasing and standing up for myself um but yeah like you said about with your kids I mean my youngest son especially like he struggles in math so bad. I mean, just cannot he, he math math just eludes him. And I was the same way in school. And I remember my my parents just would like, well, go see a tutor or go find some help at school. And I'm like, I was I struggled with math. Like I took algebra one my senior year. 
Like, seriously. I mean, like, just to get the extra math credit to graduate. I was a senior in a room full of freshmen for Algebra 1 my senior year to try and get that math credit to graduate. And so I, and I know how my youngest son feels when he's, when, when he deals with, in his case, math and how stressful it is. So I try to encourage him and I'm like, you know, I'm keeping in contact with his teachers and I'm giving him high fives when he gets a good grade on the test or he finishes his homework, like something to just let him know that, you know, you can do this. And I'm trying to build up his self-esteem, but man, it's just, it's so hard because I can see so much of myself in him and I try, and then I tend up doing what you're doing or what you did before with kind of going overboard and going in the opposite direction of almost hovering over them so much to do so much for them. So helicopter. They know. Hel- helicopter. That's the word. <laughs> yes. I was thinking it's something to do with flying in my head. So, oh but no, yeah. yeah. My totally, God. Totally I feel related. so bad for them now. I really do. Like I just, Oh yeah. I look back on, on raising them and I really wish that I could have done an even better job. But I do know that I did, I, I have helped to get rid of some of the sins of the fathers, so to speak, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. No, I uh, I wasn't perfect, but I was. I think I was pretty good. They did know they're loved anyway. So. Yep, yeah, and you know what? And that that's that's so important, and and it's something great to close with is. I mean, you know, of all the stuff we covered about, you know, how our inner child was not at fault and, you know, the stuff that triggered our PTSD and how we, you know, raise our kids now and the memories and all that. I mean, just, you know, for us to be able to show our kids and the ones that we care about in our life that they're loved and that we care about them as much as humanly possible. I mean, that just, it goes such a a long way. And I know that it's something that you are super passionate about and that you just want to always let your kids know no matter how old they are. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you love them and you care about them and their feelings are validated and that you're always going to be there for them. And that's that's really what I try to do as well is really try and embrace that. Because when you don't have it as a kid or you don't have it much, you realize what it feels like to not have it. So you want to try and let them always know that, hey, you're pretty damn special. Absolutely. Cool. Well, this was super awesome. And I could talk to you for hours <laughs> and hours that- and hours. So. I think we should talk on a more regular basis and do some of these shows because I think it's really just having this kind of conversation about just whatever comes up and it leads down the road of PTSD and whatever, you know, it really just it validates so many people. So, and I mean, I know it's going to, so, um, and I would absolutely love to chat with you again. That would be great, Matt. I look forward to it. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Davina. And, um, before we uh, wrap this up, go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you again, your blog on Twitter, all that good stuff. Okay, yeah, um, uh, it's DavinaLytle.com. You can find my blog there. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter, and I also have a Facebook page called I'm Still Here. Um, And that's that's kind of it. Cool, well, that is awesome. So she is definitely worth a follow. I follow her. Her blog is great. She's a great conversationalist on Twitter. So give her a follow, check her out, and let's wrap this up so um i know i'll talk to you on twitter and on emails and stuff but um i'll say it here i hope you have an awesome holiday and the rest of december and um i will talk to you soon and stay strong because you rock thanks again for listening to surviving my podcast presented by survivingmypast.net a blog about living with dissociation anxiety and ptsd as a result of childhood sexual abuse narcissistic abuse and bullying My opinions are my own, and I do not offer any type of mental health or physical health advice or treatment. I encourage you to seek out the help of a professional therapist or medical doctor for any mental health or physical health needs. I'm just a regular guy sharing my story of survival and hoping to inspire others. 
please be sure and follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram, all at Surviving My Past. Have a great day and rock your survivor journey.